Uh, please uh, turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to the uh, epistle that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Colossians, Colossians and chapter 3. One of the main reasons that the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the Colossian church was to address the problem of false teachers who were causing trouble in the church. And as uh, many of you who are familiar with Colossians will recall, in the first two chapters, Paul exposes this false teaching by holding it up to the light of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has exhorted the believers to turn from and to avoid, to reject this false teaching. And now in chapter 3, he shifts, he transitions, and he directs them in how they are to live out the Christian life, what their pursuit and their passion and their devotion is to be. Uh, In chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, he writes, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I want you to imagine with me the shock of being informed by the authorities that a warrant has been issued for your arrest. That's what happened to my younger brother, David. The sheriff's department from a small West Texas town had an arrest warrant out for him on very serious charges of theft. and They'd scoured the state, and they'd finally located him holed up in Dallas, Texas. And this came as a, as a great surprise to my brother, David, because... One, he had never been to this particular town. He'd never even been in the same county out there in West Texas. And two, he had never stolen anything in his life, never uh, even committed a crime. And as it turned out, our father's cousin had a son whose name was also David Van Court. And that David Van Court was a black sheep in the family, and he was an infamous horse thief. And it was a case of mistaken identity. Maybe something like that has happened to you or to someone that you know. In in today's information age, there's a growing crime that's called identity theft. Identity theft uh, is where someone, criminals can actually steal your unique personal identity and then wreak havoc with your credit. But depending on who it is that you're identified with, mistaken identity is not always such a bad thing. In fact, many years ago, back when I was a teenager in high school, I was once mistaken for my best friend, Andrew, and he was mistaken for me by the head chaperone who oversaw a school trip to Scotland. Now, I'm ashamed to admit that I had misbehaved terribly on that particular trip, while my friend Andrew had been the model student. But when our chaperone sent off reports to our parents, she happily got our names confused. And uh, my my parents, they were just delighted to, to read this report of my stellar 
behavior. While my friend Andrew's parents were quite distressed when they read over his bad report. You see, I I benefited from being identified with Andrew. Identity can bring with it either curses or blessings. And the key to blessedness lies in your identity. The, The key to this heavenly pursuit called for by the Apostle Paul in our passage this morning, it lies first in knowing that God has done a work that has changed your identity so that you're no longer identified with Adam and that the curses of his sin, but you are now identified with the Lord Jesus Christ and with the blessing of his obedience. Believers are identified with Jesus because they're genuinely united with Christ, incorporated into his body, no longer slaves under the reign of sin and death, but delivered and transferred now to the kingdom of God's abounding grace. And so scripture says many of the same things about you that it can say about the Lord Jesus Christ. In these four verses, your identity with Jesus Christ is bound up in every thought. Jesus died. You died. Jesus rose. You rose. Jesus will be revealed in glory, and so will you. Paul is drawing out an implication from the preceding verses where he's just made a very important point. He's just made this point that the philosophy of these false teachers that it it is useless to those who have died with Christ. So so having reminded you of your death with Jesus, back in chapter 2 and verse 20, he now reminds you that you have been raised up with Christ, here in chapter 3 and verse 1. So the assumption is that all of those who have died with Jesus to the elementary principles of the world, that's the old age which is passing away, it's chapter 2 and verse 20, They've also been raised with Christ, chapter 3 and verse 1, as first fruits of the new creation, raised to walk in newness of life. And the inference, the implication of your identity in Christ is now given in the form of a positive command. Paul here commands you, he charges you to be engaged in this heavenly pursuit. Now, most of you who are parents have already learned what Sandra and I had to learn about the difference between negative and positive commands in your own home. Negative commands, such as don't run out into the streets, those are essential in training up your own children. Negative commands are absolutely essential, but they're insufficient. We learned early on that unless positive commands were given, an entire afternoon could literally be spent, you know, barking out one command after another. Uh, Stay away from the candle. Don't chase the dog. Stop uh, touching the china. Do not put that crayon up your sister's nose. You know, unless, unless children understand what they are to be doing with their time, they'll simply hear the one thing that they're not to be doing and shift gears and find something else on their own to occupy their time. And you don't want small children deciding on their own how to spend their time. And so we learn the great lesson of how we need to give positive commands, how we need to provide structure and give tasks to our children. 
work on your homework. Now sit here and work on your memory verses. Now here's a feather duster. Go dust the living room. Uh, They they need to know what to avoid, but, but also they need careful instruction on what to actually do, on how to structure and spend their day. And brothers and sisters, you and I are just the same way. We need both positive and negative commands, and God knows this. And so God is our Father. He gives us negative commands, do not steal, and positive instruction, honor your father and your mother. Well, Paul, he's just issued his negative commands in chapter 2. Since you've died with Christ to the old passing age, don't let the false teachers take you captive through empty philosophy and deception. That's what we're not to do. And now Paul shifts and tells us what we are to do. He commands you to be engaged in a heavenly pursuit. And I want you to see this this heavenly pursuit under three main headings this morning. First, the object of your pursuit, the object of your pursuit. Second, the basis of your pursuit, the basis of your pursuit. And then third, the means of your pursuit, the means. And so these points, they basically correspond to three very simple questions. What, why, and how? What must you pursue? Why must you pursue it? And then finally, how must you pursue it? So notice first with me what you must pursue. The object of your pursuit, according to verse 1, is the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. We're to seek these things, according to verse 2. We're to set our minds on these things rather than on earthly things. So one important question right off the bat is, what are these things? What what does Paul mean by the things that are above? Different people have understood this in different ways. One popular way is to take it as a kind of roundabout way of simply saying, seek Christ. Set your mind on Jesus. Look to him. Another way I've seen this phrase taken is that Paul, he's instructing you to seek and set your mind on the spiritual values that characterize Jesus, such as tenderness, meekness, patience, purity, love, and so forth. And now, both of these ideas are absolutely true. We are being pointed to Christ and directed to spiritual values. That's absolutely true. But I think there's a better way of expressing Paul's precise thought here. By the things above, Paul means the heavenly realm, or more specifically, all of the things pertaining to the kingdom of heaven. From the Gospel of Matthew, we know that Jesus himself said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek the kingdom. And and that's exactly what I believe Paul is saying here. Because he describes it as where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. That's kingdom language. Align your mind with the realm and rulership of Jesus Christ. Seek the kingdom of heaven where Christ now sits enthroned above and reigns as Lord and King at the right hand of God Almighty. That's what Paul is saying. So he's not saying, you know, withdraw from the world. 
get, get away and go off into the desert. Go into a monastery and sit there and contemplate Jesus. You know, to seek the things above is to operate in the world from God's kingdom perspective. To, to live here in light of the coming of God's realm. Not just on Sunday mornings, but Monday through Saturday as well. To align your goals, your behavior, your heart with God's kingdom purposes. So that your whole life is grounded in and reflects the age to come. The kingdom of God, which was ushered in by Jesus the King. So the object of your heavenly pursuit is the kingdom of heaven. But why? Secondly, why must you seek the kingdom? What is the basis of your heavenly pursuit? So notice with me in verses 3 and 4 that the Apostle Paul, he grounds the command to pursue the things above. He grounds that in a threefold Christian reality. These are three facts about you past, present, and future, which serve as the basis for your heavenly pursuit. Now, pay careful attention to the tenses of the verbs here. Verse 3, you have died. That's past tense. Your life is hidden with with Christ in God, present tense. And verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed you will be revealed with him in glory, future tense. So this threefold reality, it spans your whole Christian life and serves as the basis for your heavenly pursuit. So let's take some time to consider these three facts. These are three facts about you if you belong to Jesus this morning. And fact number one is that you have died. You have died. Did you know that one of the most important facts about you, about yourself, if you're a Christian today, is that you have died? Now, you you might not remember dying. You might not have thought about it in terms of dying or understood it in terms of a death. But if you've been united with Christ through faith, then you have died. Your, Your death took place at your conversion. You know, one famous... Texas character was a scoundrel who uh, set up uh, a little crossroads out west of Del Rio, and he made for himself a town which he named after his favorite actress of the day, Lily Langtry. And this man, his name was Roy Bean, and he began to call himself Judge Roy Bean, and he owned a saloon, a combination saloon and courthouse there in Langtry called the Jersey Lily. And he declared himself to be the law west of the Pecos. And one day, somebody rode up to the Jersey Lily, leading a horse, and across the horse was slung a dead body. And this dead body had been found out in the desert. So they took down the body from the horse, and they brought the corpse up into the Jersey Lily saloon. And there they laid it out on the bar in order to conduct an official inquest. And Judge Roy Bean, presiding over the inquest, he directed the men to go through the corpse's pockets. And they found that he had a $50 gold piece. And then they took off the corpse's boots, and they found that 
inside one of them, one of the boots contained a, a derringer, a little pistol. And so as the story's told, Judge Roy Bean fined the corpse $50 for carrying a concealed weapon. Now, one of the reasons we giggle at that story is because it's ridiculous to prosecute a corpse. Since the moment that that corpse became a corpse, he was no longer under the reign of Judge Roy Bean. He was no longer under the law west of the Pecos. He was off to meet the Almighty Judge and to receive his final reward, whether it be heaven or hell. In either place, he was under the reign of God and no longer subject to the reign and the rule of Judge Roy Bean. Well, something very similar has happened to you. In the passage that Tommy read for us earlier in Romans 6, Paul says that you were united with Christ in his death. Your old self, it was crucified with him, and you have died to the reign of sin which once held dominion over you. You've died to your old master, and you now live to serve a new master. That past event in your life, it's foundational for pursuing the kingdom, for pursuing the things above. Unless you have died, it's impossible to set your mind, your heart, your affections supremely on the kingdom of heaven because your mind is still shackled to the old age, which is passing away. So it's only when you die, it's only when God sets you free from the bondage of sin and you turn from that sin and God reveals to you the glory of Christ, the love of the Savior who took your place in life and in death, rendering for you the pure obedience from which you fell short and also suffered for you the full wrath of God, which was owed to you. And you believed in him and, 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 and put your trust in him who died and rose from the dead. It's only then that you are united with Christ in his death, dead to the tyranny of sin, and freed, set free to pursue the things where, up above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So so that's fact number one about you. You have died. Fact number two is that presently, your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's the second half of verse three. Not only were you united to Christ in his death, but you're also presently, you're united to Christ in his life. And so your new life is hidden with him in God. This is a very important fact about you. You you should find great hope and comfort in the fact that you have died and that now your life is hidden and it is hidden in the safest, securest place of all, with Christ in God. Ignoring this fact, forgetting this fact, will result in a lack of assurance and a life characterized by fear and insecurity and anxiety and a short-sighted perspective on life. But when you really embrace this truth about yourself, it will completely change the way you live. It will transform your life. That's why it's an essential footing for your heavenly pursuit, which is a pursuit for the kingdom, a pursuit 
for the mission. On Wednesday, all over the globe, we remembered the 75th anniversary of a very important mission, an operation that provided uh, uh, a turning point in the Second World War that we call D-Day. One of the more colorful heroes of World War II was a U.S. Army officer who served in the 101st Airborne Division and who parachuted into Normandy on D-Day. His name was Lieutenant Colonel Ronald Spears. And he was both feared and greatly respected by his fellow soldiers of Easy Company. He had a reputation as a no-nonsense, fearless, larger-than-life American warrior. And on one occasion, Lieutenant Spears and other men from Easy Company, they found themselves cut off from all communications, and they needed desperately to hook up with I Company to find out what their strength and plan was in order to win a key battle against the Germans. And I Company, it was only about a half a block away, but within that block, in open ground, were two German artillery crews, a Panzer IV tank, and about 50 German armored infantry. They could barely peek around the corner without a hail of bullets coming their way. And no one knew exactly what to do. And then, to the astonishment of both his men and the Germans, Speer just got up and he ran straight into the line of fire, so close to the Germans that he almost could have tapped their helmets as he ran past. One eyewitness from Easy Company recalled the event. Quote, At first the Germans didn't shoot at him. I think they couldn't quite believe what they were seeing. But that wasn't the really astounding thing. The astounding thing was that after he hooked up with I Company, he came back the same way. Years ago, Spears was portrayed in the TV series Band of Brothers, and there's one scene in particular that provides a glimpse into how this man could be so brave. A young soldier named Blythe confesses to Spears one night that after he was dropped into Normandy, that he hid out in a ditch. He, he hid and didn't look for his squad. And after confessing this act of cowardice, Spears replied to him, we're all scared. You hid in that ditch because you think there's still hope. The only hope you have is to accept the fact that you're already dead. And the sooner you accept that, the sooner you'll be able to function as a soldier is supposed to function. You see, Spears considered himself to be already dead. His life had already been given, sacrificed for his country. He was completely expendable, and that enabled him to bravely risk his life on many occasions as they pressed on toward victory in Europe. Well, in a very similar way, the fact that you have died and that your life is now safely hidden with Christ in God it provides you the strengthening assurance of eternal security that frees you up here and now to spend your present life for Jesus Christ. I have a dear friend who serves as a missionary who's a great example of someone actively pursuing things above. He he strongly believes that the Lord deliberately uses the suffering and even the death of his disciples as a strategy for extending the kingdom of God into hostile regions of the world. And so he intentionally takes the gospel 
into very dangerous places, always ready to face suffering and even martyrdom, knowing that if this trip might be the end, it's better to be with Christ. If someone says to him, don't go into that village over the mountains, they will kill you. He eagerly takes the gospel to that village over the mountains. He can spend his life for Christ. He can pour out his life for Jesus that way because he's already died and his life is securely hidden in the safety of God's embrace with Christ. And we, we can live with that same mindset in whatever calling the Lord has put us in here in Austin, Texas. I want you to look at your future in verse 4. So fact number three about you is that when Christ, who is your life, is revealed, you will be revealed with him in glory. Christ, who is your life, that's another expression of our union with Christ. He is your life. When he is revealed in glory, you will be revealed in glory. This fact about you is your greatest hope. It it can anchor you through the most difficult times. Are you struggling this morning? Are you suffering? Are you grieving? What comfort there is to know that Jesus Christ is coming back and he will be glorified and we will be glorified as he is glorified. What a treasure we have. What a sustaining hope we have been given. On a crisp October day in the year 1555, Two men stumbled out of the doors of Borcado Prison in England. Their names were Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley. And because they refused to recant their personal faith in Jesus, they were sentenced to die, and they were sentenced to die a a terrible death that morning. They were to be set on fire and burned at the stake. Now, we cannot know all of their thoughts as they lived out the last moments of their life on earth, But we know that as they approached the stake to be burned alive, that Latimer turned to his friend Ridley and spoke these famous words. Be of good cheer, Master Ridley. Play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace as I trust shall never be put out. You see, Latimer, he had a kingdom perspective. These men could be of good cheer, of good cheer even at their own horrific deaths, because they knew that their deaths themselves would be used of God to further his kingdom purposes. And they knew that their ultimate fate, their ultimate fate, was not Queen Mary's fires, but rather glory with the Savior. They knew that their lives, safely hidden with Christ in God, would one day be revealed with Christ in glory on that great day of vindication, and all things will be set right. They knew who they were in Christ. You know, a number of years ago, there was a famous movie star who had car trouble while he was driving on a highway uh, near the beach outside of Hollywood. Some of you might remember him. His name was Kirk Douglas, father of actor Michael Douglas. His car broke down, and he was walking along the road, and a motorist saw that he needed a ride, and so he pulled over and invited him into the car. 
And this famous actor got into the car, and the driver took one look at him and said, Do you know who you are? Well, that's the question that Paul wants to ask of you. And that's the question I want to put to you this morning. Do you know who you are? The old self, the old you is dead. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, that old self is dead. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed, you will be revealed with him in glory. Your identity is bound up with Jesus who has gone before you. You're united with your Savior Jesus. And your position in him is the basis of your pursuit of his heavenly kingdom. So our passage has explained what you are to pursue and why you are to pursue it. So now finally the question becomes, how do you pursue it? What are the means of your pursuit for these things that are above? We've already alluded to the fact that you don't pursue the heavenly kingdom, you don't pursue the things above and set your mind on those things by withdrawing into the desert or into a monastery, uh, you know, with your yoga mat to sit down and think heavenly thoughts about Jesus. So, so what are some practical ways that you can pursue these heavenly things? Five points of application this morning. Five uh, brief points of application. I didn't come up with these. They come directly from God's word. Application number one is to consider yourself dead to sin. Consider yourself dead to sin. This comes from the very next section in Colossians, Colossians 3, 5 to 11. Paul has already emphasized that you are dead. Therefore, now consider yourself dead to sin. It's interesting in many Muslim countries where there is a convert from Islam to Christ. After the new believer is baptized, when when the new believer's Muslim family discovers that they've been baptized, what the Muslim family will often do is to hold a traditional Islamic funeral for them, thus signifying that this person who they once knew so well and who is now identified with the Lord Jesus Christ in baptism is now dead to them. And they are. They are dead to that old former life. They're they're dead to their idolatry. They're dead to their impurity, their evil desire. They're dead to to their anger and their wrath and their bigotry. Even so, you should consider yourself dead to sin, dead to immorality and greed, dead to slander and verbal abuse and lies. Let the gross appetites and the hostility toward your fellow human beings that characterized your old self be unthinkable now that you have died with Christ. Put to death these old ways of life. Application number two, love one another. Love one another. This comes from Colossians 3, verse 12 to 17. Be big-hearted, generous, authentic with one another. Here, Here among your Park Hills family, do you ever perceive an opportunity to be compassionate, to be kind, to be gentle and patient with another brother or sister. Pursuing those opportunities is to pursue the reign and rule of Jesus Christ, to pursue his kingdom. Visiting the sick 
and caring for the dying is a way of orienting your mind toward the kingdom of heaven. Bringing a meal to a family who's just had a baby. Are are you aware of any animosity between others here? Any, Any dislikes, any petty jealousies on your own part? Well, you, can, you can pursue the kingdom by making peace within the body of Christ. Whenever you lovingly bear with one another and patiently teach one another and humbly admonish one another and forgive one another's sins as you have been forgiven, you are pursuing the things above where Christ sits and reigns. Number three, fulfill the roles that God has given you. This comes from chapter 3, verses 18, through chapter 4 and verse 1. So whenever whenever a wife submits herself to her husband as unto the Lord, whenever a husband loves his wife and prevents himself from becoming embittered toward her, whenever you who are children obey your parents in all things, even in the things that you may not like, like eating your vegetables, the things... The things which are above are being pursued in that. One very practical way of pursuing heaven is by going back to work tomorrow morning in whatever capacity the Lord has called you to work and working hard with sincerity of heart as for the Lord rather than for men. If you have people who are working for you in your home or at your job to treat them with the kind of justice and fairness that characterizes the kingdom of God. In in whatever roles in life that God has placed you, by pursuing faithfulness and fulfilling those roles, you are pursuing the things which are above. Number four, devote yourself to prayer. This comes from chapter four, verses two through four. Pray with an attitude of thanksgiving. When you devote yourself to prayer in this way, you acknowledge your complete and utter dependence upon God as your Father. And pray for His gospel to go forth, for the churches to be revived, for the Lord to add to His church daily as many as are being saved, to pray for the knowledge of the glory of the Lord to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, to to, to pray for your missionaries, to, to pray for those that you know who are lost, participating in God's saving activity through prayer is one of the neglected but most important ways of pursuing the kingdom of heaven. And number five, and final uh, application, engage, engage the world. Engage unbelievers. This, is come, this comes from Colossians 4, 5 through 6. Have you ever gone out into a, a restaurant with a professing believer only to be shocked by their rude behavior toward the people who are serving you? Don't be that person. Don't be rude toward outsiders. Don't ignore outsiders. Take careful notice of them. Conduct yourself in the world with wisdom toward outsiders by making the most of every opportunity that you have at the restaurant, at the shopping mall, at the grocery store, at the gas pump, at the park, at jury duty, whenever you're waiting in a long line. When you speak to them with grace, when you learn 
how to respond to each person with the truth and the power of the gospel, then you are pursuing the things which are above. You're pursuing the kingdom. So heavenly pursuit, it it involves very practical day-to-day activity. Loving your wives like Christ loved the church. Making peace within the church. Taking the time to tell an outsider about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. And finally today, just consider Jesus as an example. He lived a life that was completely dead to all sin. He loved the church so much that he gave his life for her. He faithfully fulfills his roles as the Son of God who submits to his Father's will as prophet and priest and king over his people. He prayed for God's kingdom to come. He engaged unbelievers, speaking to them with grace, knowing how to respond to every situation. If your identity is in Jesus Christ, then your life should reflect him. So remember who you are and live like it. When you were converted, that was the death of the old self. So don't live like the old self is still alive. You're a new creature. And so you're called to your heavenly pursuit. You're called to this pursuit of the kingdom. It's described in many ways in the Bible. It's described as walking in newness of life. It's described as walking by the Spirit, walking in good works, walking as Jesus walked. But it is the only appropriate, fitting, and coherent way for you to live as a Christian. Brothers and sisters, may you all Know this morning who you are, united with Jesus, and live like it, seeking the things which are above in his name and for his sake. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, that we would not love our own lives even unto death. May you cause each of us to consider our own lives already dead. Strengthen us by the great truth that our life is safely hidden in Christ by faith. Fill us with the hope that when Jesus soon returns, that we will be revealed with him in glory. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.